Today's episode of The Boarding Pass is brought to you by NetSuite. Successful companies know faster growth requires the right tools. If you're doing one, 10, or hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue, NetSuite by Oracle gives you a full picture of your business, finance, inventory, HR, customers, and more, all in one place. Over 19,000 companies trust NetSuite, the world's number one cloud business system. Schedule your free product tour right now and receive your free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits at netsuite.com slash listen. That's netsuite.com slash listen. Welcome to the breaking news edition of the Boarding Pass with Ken Weave and myself, Murad Atesh. We are standing in Bell MTS Place right now. We've just come from the press conference at which uh, Paul Maurice's announcement, the extension, was discussed. Paul Maurice spoke to media. Kevin Dayoff spoke to media. Ken and I were hanging out in the Budweiser Lounge, and the building is ours, all ours, and the news of the day Ken is the Paul Maurice coaching extension. Yeah, interesting, Murad. I mean, uh, timing is always interesting when it comes to these things. And Kevin Cheveldeyev told us, I guess, there's no perfect time to make any announcements. But I think this was just a matter of time. Uh, we talked about this before quite uh, quite regularly. I think that Kevin Cheveldeyev has said pretty forthcomingly that Paul Maurice was the man for the job. And uh, despite some stumbles before the, the break, which you uh, witnessed firsthand, uh, I think that uh, I think they just figured it was time to make an announcement. Uh, they did it at their Hall of Fame luncheon, and we'll see where it goes from there. What does it really mean in the big picture? What it means is what we suspected, that Paul Maurice would be the, the coach of the Jets starting next year at the bare minimum, and sounds like he got himself a multi-year deal. Uh, sounds like a three-year deal, according to uh, Elliot Friedman. Uh, the only thing that we know is that the, the two contracts with Maurice and Cheveldayoff don't line up, so we don't know the exact terms or who's longer than whom, but we know that Paul Maurice is staying, and I mean, it's something that's generated some debate. I mean, you wrote about it. I mean, I've talked about it a lot. I I do think this this move makes a lot of sense for the Jets. I think that uh, I would point to the fact that in the three years where the Jets had probably, quote-unquote, serviceable NHL rosters with playoff potential, uh, Paul Maurice has been behind the bench for two 99-point seasons and then 114-point seasons, so also has the first two playoff wins in franchise history. I mean, does he have his flaws? Of course, all coaches have their flaws. But I think that actually this year has been an example of Maurice kind of chipping away at some of those narratives that he's shy about playing young players. And, and I mean, we do know the one thing. The Jets have had to lean pretty heavily on, on a three-line game for the most part this year. And that's not necessarily as much Maurice's fault this year. That may be more due to the injury bug. But I think that... The Jets do need to start playing their fourth line a little bit more so that their top guy guns don't get taxed. Uh, having said that, the Jets have needed their top guns uh, because they haven't been scoring enough. So uh, I think that Maurice has done a pretty good job with the hands he's been dealt. But, I mean, it's up to him to, to show if he can finish that contract. Uh, we know that longevity is a difficult thing in the National Hockey League. Uh, he's been here six-plus years. He has the potential to be there at least nine years if he finishes the deal. And... I mean, that'll be the thing that we look for, but I don't see a natural in-house candidate, and I think that Maurice has evolved enough and, and will continue to work to evolve with the group that he has, and we'll see. Ultimately, the results will dictate whether or not uh, this is a good move, but for me, uh, I can understand it was made, why it was made, and I do think that from a broad view, I, th- 
I would support the decision that Paul Maurice deserved to stick around a little bit longer for sure. Well, from the beginning of the year, you and I have talked that, you know, every time people outside of Winnipeg, all the shows that we go on, all the things that we do, when we get asked, well, is Paul Maurice on the hot seat? We sort of agreed that no, as a matter of fact, he wasn't. And it's come out, of course, that the conversation about his extension had begun in the summertime, that this was a long-term move by the Winnipeg Jets, who are a long-term thinking organization, right? I mean, not only is Paul Maurice the second longest tenured head coach in the NHL, but Kevin Sheveldayoff is right up there as well. I think he's in the top five of longest tenured uh, GMs in the NHL. So from top to bottom, this is a long-term thinking organization and like you say there's strengths and weaknesses with everything um what this means is there's continuity there's relationships that build uh the worst thing you could say about is there could be stagnation i don't think i've seen it necessarily in how people treat each other i think that the the room has fought very hard this year in terms of uh staying in the fight to use their words but there's been no quit even during the biggest struggles so i think the human elements of things haven't grown stagnant um, so the always, as always, strengths and weaknesses with all things. And I have a little rant because whenever a situation like this comes across, there's the need in some way to have a hot take. Was this good? Was this bad? Is this universally something or the other thing? And I don't think that that's the case. I don't think life works that way. I don't think that's the realistic situation here. The least, um, the least emotional argument I can make about Paul Maurice as a coach is when you go and you use models to isolate coaching impact. And you can get them on HockeyViz.com. And you can look at how each team that he's coached performs at 5-on-5 five five relative towards other coaches. His impact has been very average. A little bit less offense in the offensive zone. A little bit less offense in the defensive zone. Just kind of calms things down. A little bit defense first. And it works out to average. Middle of the pack compared to NHL. So how am I going to look at that and say that he's absolutely one of the elites or absolutely shouldn't necessarily get to be extended um, relative towards what you said, the quality of roster each year. I mean, I think that that 2017-2018 team uh, was a great team on paper and went very far. I think that was a tremendous year. Uh, I think last year there was a little bit of an underperformance. And then again, this year, I think that within what we see, like our models basically say, if you work with Dom Chish and you plug in the players that he's had to deal with, that Mahal Maurice has had to deal with, the place that Winnipeg is at in the standings is very realistic and reasonable. And I, I think that results-wise, things have gone well. So I can't come out of that with a hot take that says this is brilliant, this is awful, this is anything. This is a reasonably solid coach who everybody in the organization, the important voices, clearly love. And I think that that's part of why the extension is happening. Sure. And what did you think of Kevin Chevaldeoff's answer? I mean, you, you talked to him, you asked him specifically what kinds of things does he do in order to evaluate and to sort of suss out the things that go beyond just the simple bare-bones numbers, which, as we mentioned, do fluctuate from year to year and based on a number of factors, including elite level versus subpar goaltending. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, because Kevin Dayoff was talking about each year the expectations change, the rosters change, the context change. I think that goaltending has really saved Winnipeg's season this year. I think it's been a huge portion of that on the ice. But what Kevin Dayoff said is that if you look too much specifically at the numbers, the stats, the details, you mix, sorry, you miss the unique context that the coach is working with each and every year. I think given the crazy amount of extracurricular scenarios around the Winnipeg Jets this year, the absence of buff and all those sorts of other things. I think a human person to person, the way that people are treating each other indicator as to whether leadership is going well or not. I think that's a completely fair thing. Um, I, I think that the counter to that 
is because if you lean too hard saying, well, hey, you know what? They've done the best with what they can. Then you get the the boo birds from from the other side of the corner being, well, you know, I don't agree with this lineup decision. I don't agree with that lineup decision and things like that. Um, I think it's fair to say goaltending has been a huge portion of, of Paul Maurice's record this season. Um, but I also think that Kevin Sheveldayoff's view of Paul Maurice's work in Winnipeg goes beyond that as well, and I think that's part of it. Absolutely. I mean, we've talked about this a ton. I mean, Paul Maurice is seventh in career wins. He's also first in career losses. I mean, those <laughs> things are also predicated partially on the rosters he has had at his disposal, and I would argue at the goaltending that he's had at his disposal. But at the end of the day, the coach tries to put the best defensive system in that he can, whether you have Archer's Urbe, whether you have Andrew Raycroft, whether you have Connor Hellebuck, whether you have Andre Pavlik. I mean, the majority of the time, what we know is this. Paul Maurice has spent the majority of his time with small market hockey clubs with the two-year exception of the Toronto Maple Leafs. I mean, yes, the salary cap is different now, but small market versus big market I mean there was a long time when that made a big difference in terms of players at your disposal as well and I mean for me what I see is this and and you see it too Murad Paul Maurice is obviously good with the media we know that but that's not I mean is that an important quality in a Canadian market yes but no general manager is keeping a head coach just because he's good with the media (laughs) there's no chance that can happen that that general manager is going to be fired himself so we, we know that Paul Maurice has reasons for his decisions. Sometimes they're not what we agree with, maybe, or what others disagree with. But we can assure you that if we've thought of something, he's thought about it in probably several other different connotations. So, I mean, the beauty of our job is that we get to pick apart those decisions, and there's no consequences for us. For him, it could mean the difference <laughs> between keeping and losing his job. So what I would say is this. We've been around Paul Maurice. I mean, I've been around his entire tenure here. He's a smart hockey guy, so we might not always agree with his decisions. And in fact, there's quite a few that we don't agree with. But, I mean, that doesn't mean that he is a guy who doesn't know what he's talking about. And like I said, it remains to be seen. I mean, until they put a banner uh, up in this arena, or if they do, I mean, coaches don't necessarily hit their peak unless they put a banner up. So, I mean, it's up to Paul Maurice to continue to try to push this group forward. I mean, we got lots of things to talk about, trade deadline coming up. I mean, in a lot of ways, what I wrote about today after your column was, what does Kevin Dayoff do now? I mean, based on where the team is at, now the coach, you know, there's no decision, there's no, there's no coaching search happening, either now or in the summer. So now it's up to Kevin Dayoff to bolster the roster. And again, whether that will be in the next two-week period or whether it'll be in the summer with a bigger blockbuster, I mean, that's the next big thing for me in terms of what the Jets are going to do now that their coaching situation is stabilized if you will for lack of a better term at least stabilized in the public view yeah stabilized all along in the in the organization's view uh to hear both men's words today before we get into the trade deadline i want to throw it to paul maurice himself this is the paul maurice news show in a certain to a certain degree uh here's paul maurice talking to reporters including you and me gathered at bell mts place earlier today well we had met uh, through the course of the summer and kind of all agreed that we really wanted it to happen from their point of view and from mine. So that was really never in doubt. And then, as you've all well documented, we had a whole host of things that took priority over that. It was never really kind of on the radar. And over the last, uh, last couple of months, Kevin kind of told me what they were thinking. I told them what I was thinking. They made me an offer, and I accepted it. It was, I think this is the fourth contract. The entire negotiating time of the last four contracts went 10 minutes, in truth. 
uh, Duvall has been very, very me, and I'm exceptionally happy here. So it, it, it's a good fit. That is it, I know the word's not right, relief, but just now that you're moving forward and you know that, that it's there for the rest of the year? No, no, there's almost no emotion to it, truly, because it was taken care of in the, in the summer, really. It, it, it truly was not on my plate or a concern of mine. Um, I'm going to ask you to talk about yourself because, you know, there's very few coaches that have lasted as long as you have at one organization. Uh, why? Why is that? Do a pretty good job here. Um, communication is always the most important thing in any relationship, and that's north of me and south of me. So with ownership and management and uh, with the players, and you always want to feel that you're on the same page and feel like you're moving in the same direction. So uh, from my point of view, that part's been easy from ownership and management from the very first conversation with Kevin, very clear with the direction of the team and the expectations of that team. And I'm fortunate to work for hockey men. Uh, and what I mean by that, I have a very strong understanding of what's on the ice and the expectations of that group. So you're in sync with that. Um, and then we have a really good kind of young group of guys that are coming together and, and uh, I think making really important strides in their individual game which will eventually lead to a real strong team game here. Being able to communicate and work within that group is—I'm uh, not going to say it's a strength of mine. I'm going to say I've been very fortunate in that situation. So my two long-term situations are almost identical. Uh, very stable ownership that understand the game. But both the general managers that I've worked for over a long period of time have won. Jim's in the Hall of Fame. Kevin won the. Stanley Cup in Chicago, so they understand where their team is at in the progression of, of building. And that understanding is critical for coaches, uh, that they have a, a, a deep understanding of the game and where your team's at. Um, how important is continuity for a head coach? That's more for the head coach, I guess. See, that's kind of a joke. See, if there's no continuity, most important is the, is the direction, right? Like the, the, as a coach, you have to be able to grow and evolve and change with your group as it changes around you. And, and we would have gone through the major change that you find is when an organization gets very young and, and builds through that so that you're not, certainly we all have our principles and our belief in the game that you have to be able to add things to your game to change the way you do players to uh, evolve. Is the, is the word. That, that's the most important thing. And did you always feel, the way that this season's gone, yeah. um, a lot, and, and to see some of the names that have gone down right. this year in the head coaching world, was there ever worry for you this year? I mean, truth without sounding flippant or casual, because you, you just can't be in this job. It's not a, it was never a concern. I mean, there's a theme with some of the other guys, the veteran teams, that were possibly pushed to their max and at those point then the voices change and those guys get jobs right away right there I'm thinking of, of Pete, uh, a good friend that, that, that done a really good job in San Jose and kind of pushed them to it things were starting to fall maybe they're aging out so you, you get a change in that but they're not relatable in terms of every situation is unique uh, and the assessment is always is this the right man for this team right now
There's a lot of discussion in there from Paul Maurice about knowing what stage of the development path the team overall is on because obviously that's his individual responsibility to develop individual players, push the team on an arc. But the idea that he and Kevin Shoveldayoff understand or are on the same page about where things are at, I think was one of the most important things that came out of today in terms of the fact that they're still in sync because Kevin Shoveldayoff would have had to sell to Paul Maurice or maybe they were just both understanding that this summer there, the defense was going to get worse. Um, and that was before Bufflin's absence. During Bufflin's absence, they would have had to have agreed on the idea that, hey, there's no cavalry coming because there's some cap constraints here. We've got to sort this out. We've got to resolve this. There's no instant solution. So the idea, can it sounds to me uh, that they were on the same page or were able to communicate their way through this. Yeah, and that's from the very beginning, even when Paul Maurice came in. And Paul Maurice was also on board after the 2015 sweep to the Anaheim Ducks when... Kevin Sheveldayoff and, and him looked at each other and said, you know what, it was great for the Jets to make the playoffs, but they weren't good enough to go on an extended run. So they changed their style from young, fast, and hard to play against to in incorporating a lot more skill into the lineup. And, and that meant uh, not playing as soundly defensively. Uh, it meant some more wide-open games and some learning for some of those young players, which is what we heard from both Kevin Sheveldayoff and Paul Maurice today in terms of evolution was kind of a buzzword and what needed to happen was for some of those young players to to learn the other parts of the game that they weren't necessarily as proficient at at the junior hockey level and I mean that brings us back to opportunity I mean for the Jets the Dustin Bufflin situation has not been resolved yet but there's going to be cap room available this summer it seems like anyway provided there are no snags in in what we expect to happen in the next couple of weeks so I mean, if, if you're Kevin Sheveldayoff, how, how many chips are you pushing into the middle of the pile uh, as we get closer to February 24th? For me personally, I like the amount of cast space that Winnipeg has this summer going forward. The, the shopping list will essentially be Jack Rosovic's raise and ideally two top four quality defensemen. I think there's upwards of $12 million in cap space projected for that, depending on the other situations with UFAs and things. So don't marry to $12 million, but there's room, I guess is my point. For this particular season, I understand the urge that this team has stayed so close, one point out, gone through so many things. I understand the human element of, hey, we're in this thing. We need at least one top four defenseman. Heck, two. There's cap space, assuming Bufflin's resolved as we all expect it will be. Winnipeg will be a cap space rich team and maybe there's something the opposite of that Armia and Mason trade where uh, a good player could be acquired while also taking a bad contract. There are probably things that Kevin Sheveldayoff, whether it's that or some of the rumored people available, can do to bolster this team, push it in the playoffs, get some kind of first round playoff run out of the situation. For me, on the other side of it, and here's where I really am, is I I, I don't think that there is a move that pushes this team into a round winner. I could see it cementing a playoff spot. Going deep, I'm not sure. As tough of a sell as it is, I think I see a lot of opportunity in terms of this summer for next because Winnipeg's biggest weaknesses to me are on defense, and that's where the biggest help is coming prospect-wise in terms of someone like a, a Dylan Sandberg, a Ville Hainala, being able to play down the lineup and then having shopping room to go and presumably make a summertime move. What do you think of that, Ken Weave? Yeah, no, no, I mean, I certainly understand the argument, and I, 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 could, I can get behind it as well. But for me, it's so hard to project because we don't know what the asking prices are. I mean, 
if Alec Martinez is available for a second round pick and a prospect, but what level of prospect? Are, are we talking about Christian Veselainen, who hasn't had the best year, or are we talking about a higher end prospect? I mean, that that's the difference maker for me. Just as you mentioned, I mean, with some of those young defensemen coming, would you prefer the 27-year-old version of Alec Martinez right now? Absolutely. But you're not getting that player at $4 million in a year and two months, I guess. So for me, I mean, a lot. Of, I think that a guy like Martinez can make a lot of sense, but the Jets can't get into an overbidding situation. For me, he makes sense because he stabilizes the top four immediately. He's at a $4 million roughly salary, so it doesn't prohibit the Jets from going after a bigger-name defenseman in the summertime. Also, with his deal expiring at the end of next season, now, presumably, you have both Hanela and Sandberg in the lineup. I mean, it's a good little placeholder, but also a placeholder that has Stanley Cup experience, a guy that has scored series-clinching goals at the biggest time uh, necessary. So, I mean, there would be some... I, I could see some value there, but is Alec Martinez going to be the difference between the Jets winning one round or three? I mean, that's probably not the case right now. I mean, he is a complimentary defenseman. You're not getting Drew Doughty, but you're also not paying $9 million for him. So, I mean, we just saw Dylan DeMello in here. Do I think he could help the Jets in the interim and maybe they could try to extend him beyond just being a rental? Sure, but he's not going to have that same impact of a guy in the top four that a Dustin Bufflin would, but very few guys would. So for me, I think the Jets have to kick as many tires as humanly possible. And if there is a late deal like a Paul Stastny type of guy becomes available, but I'm with you. I, I don't move the first rounder unless you get a mid-20s defenseman with more than one-year term. Uh, if that's a Matt Dumba, for example, we're talking about rumored players, I mean, then maybe you consider it. But even then, I, I don't think it's likely the Jets move their first-round pick. I think they will not be shopping in the bargain bin, and I also don't think they'll be shopping in the high-rent high district bin either. So for me, there's a complimentary defenseman, and I even think there could be value, depending on the injury situation with Perot. We expect Lowry to be back shortly or relatively shortly. There could be a depth winger that you look at at some point. I know that Jansen Harkins has played quite well, and it wouldn't bump Mason Appleton out of the lineup, but if the Jets are going to have a, a, a fourth line that they are dependent on a little bit more, I could see... a a different forward kind of being involved. Or maybe Kevin Sheveldayoff shocks us and makes a 2015 deal where he wants to change the mix. But, you know, now based compared to then, I mean, that was more of a culture mix rather than uh, a mix. We know that the Jets like their group in brackets. Uh, they fight for one another. But they still want to try to get into the playoffs. So I could see them making a couple of minor moves. But I don't think we're going to see the earth-shattering variety maneuver right now unless uh, Kevin Sheveldayoff pulls something out of the hat. Yeah, rabbits out of hats have happened in Winnipeg. That would be the Paul Stastny situation, I think. Um, in terms of how you're framing the expectations around the defense, I think that that's exactly right. The, you know, there's things like a first-round pick, a Jack Roslevic, these sorts of things that really, if, if those become assets, they would have to be for defensemen with term in prime ages, the caliber of a Matt Dumba like you're talking about. The unfortunate reality in Winnipeg, I think, is that 
of the 10 men, including Ville Hanalo, who have played for the Jets this season, seven of them make a million or less, right? The, the, the caliber that has been asked, and certainly some might be overperforming their 700K contracts to be sure, is that when you go through that list of Martinez or Colin Miller, who you've talked about as well, every single one of those men can upgrade this particular blue line to my way of thinking so as long as those prime assets can be stayed away from they would certainly be upgrades if they're upgrades for this year and next you're getting into okay well you could see Kevin Sheveldayoff off winning that trade scenario and of course to couch it in the inevitable cliche it all depends on what you give up um, but we should go to Kevin Sheveldayoff on this exact same topic. Can you ask him about how Winnipeg's situation this season affects the trade deadline? And uh, he had a good answer for you. Well, the, the approach really begins uh, and, and, and essentially ends with, um, you know, is there a right fit out there? Is there something that, that, that makes sense, uh, you know, that we uh, have the ability to do, um, that we have the wherewithal to do, that makes sense, you know, in, in fitting in the lineup and, and actually helping us and move the needle so um, you know that's the approach whether you're in first place or you know in the situation where, where you're one point you know out uh, of this, uh, the equation right now so um, that's the, the evaluation process that starts uh, you have the, the obviously the conversations with, uh, with different teams and, and you try to um, you know put yourself in a situation where you know you're in in those conversations to know what the the asking prices may be if, if there are the you know the fits out there. Um, that's a difficult thing because it changes you know really for a lot of teams daily, um, based on injury, based on their injuries, based on their uh, positions. Um, you know teams that uh, you know may not be sellers might become sellers. Um, you know every situation is different, so you're, you're trying to prepare for all those things. Um, but again, there has to be that right fit out there, and you can't, you can't just you know try to shoehorn something in. And over the last couple of years, um, you know, we we found some big moves that we felt you know uh, could help us move the needle. We had to make some quick moves, um, you know, when we had some injuries, obviously to Josh last year, uh, you know, the night before you know training camp, uh, night before the uh, trade deadline. Um, so again, you're 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 constantly evaluating what is out there, what the asking prices are, and you know, do you have the assets uh, to, to, to do it? But it starts with, are there pieces out there that, that actually make sense for you? Well, first and foremost, the, the key takeaway there is that Kevin Sheveldayoff is in the conversation, I think. He, it seems that he's looking for asking prices and he's getting a sense of what the market is. He shared an update as well that that Bufflin situation has yet to be officially resolved, but I think we all expect that it will. It comes down to asking prices, though. He's in those conversations. Ken, what did you think of the response you got? Yeah, I mean, sort of what you expected. I mean, you're never going to play or have your have the hand uh, revealed to you uh, in terms of what they're shopping for. But I, I think I appreciate the thought process behind it. I mean, and that, that's what we're talking about here. If there's a move that makes the Jets better, I mean, here's the problem. Every team in the National Hockey League would like to upgrade their back end. So the majority of those players are either underperforming in their current situation, like Matt Dumba, who was outstanding last year before his injury and has struggled this year, or a guy like Colin Miller, who, although he's been a useful NHLer for Boston and Vegas, has sort of been a part-time player for a Sabres team that's not in a playoff picture. So, I mean, it's the type... Nobody's going to hand out their top-pairing defenseman for 
for a marginal player or uh, you know what I mean it's just it's interesting I mean you have to sometimes take a chance on a player similarly to I mean Tyler Myers was a Calder Trophy winner had a couple tough years in Buffalo where things were rough and came to Winnipeg and kind of revitalized his career and cashed in in free agency so you kind of have to buy low on a couple of players unless you're going to play pay a premium value asset for the player so I, I think the approach is sound and I'm with you. I mean, it's a wrestling match between present and shorter range future because the core group for the Jets is locked up. Jack Rosvick needs a raise. Yes. It's, it, how substantial is the raise, though? I mean, he's posted career numbers, but he's not going to have 20 this year. So, I mean, you're not looking at a Nick Ehlers second contract of $6 million. Where's the bridge at? I mean, and if the bridge is a factor... How does that impact Jack Rosovic's selling ability if the Jets are going to find a top four defenseman? I mean, we're not saying he's on the block, but what we've said from the very beginning is that he is the type of player that teams are calling on because they see the same ceiling that you and I see, that this is a guy who is probably a middle six forward that has 20-goal potential. Is he going to score 20 for the Jets? You and I don't know that, and I don't know that Jack Rosovic knows that, to be perfectly honest. And... And that's one of the things they're going to have to determine here in the next couple of weeks or even into the summer where if negotiations are a factor in a guy either being traded or being added to that core, I mean, those are realities that Kevin Sheveldayoff and the management group are dealing with. So, And then, too, we haven't even talked about Sammy Niku. I mean, <laughs> Sammy Niku could fit in that same mold. I mean, the Jets are getting healthy defensemen back. Based on today's practice, looks like he'll stay in the lineup. But can he stay in the lineup? Does he need to stay in the lineup? And what does he show when he's in the lineup? I mean, I also th know that people were in an uproar that Paul Maurice didn't like the route that Niku took the other night. Just because he singles out a player doesn't mean that player will be banished to the press box forever. I mean, it's a teachable moment. I mean, for that one second or that 10 seconds, Sammy Niku was not going against an American Hockey League forward. He was going against one of the best power forwards in the NHL. I think he thought that he could lift the stick and, and stop him, and that just wasn't the case. And But those are the type of mistakes that are going to happen for a young player, and Sammy's going to learn from that mistake and take a better angle on the next time that he does it. So one mistake doesn't mean the guy's going to be on the trade block either, and I think that we, we talked about it before. Niku needs to play during the stretch run so the Jets find out if he's going to be a regular because not being a waiver exempt anymore that's a guy that's not getting through waivers like this is what we talked about teams need quality defensemen Sammy Niku is going to be an NHL player so it's up to him to continue to carve out his role with the Jets yeah it's absolutely showtime in uh well in the arena right now we're getting some sound tests and things like that but in Sammy Niku's career it's showtime because the waiver exemption is lost he has to be an NHL player next year just like you mentioned I'm with you that was a bad route he thought that he could sneak in behind Chris Kreider and uh, lift a stick or, or make that sort of sneaky play behind him. Well, let me tell you what, Kreider can protect the puck with the best of them. It was a mistake. It went poorly. Okay, let's move on. The other three goals of the night, you could also pin them to somebody individually as well. Um, but that's a learning point for Sami Niku. I think that he is an intriguing uh, player almost in the same way as Jack Roslovic, not quite, where he's going to be good enough to be asked about. He has promise. He has that ceiling. I think that they'll play him down the stretch more or less and keep them in, in, his, in their plans for next season as well. But there's no guarantees. And when, when these are the prices that you're being asked to pay, 
um, then who knows what their future is exactly. And to bring it back to Paul Maurice's contract extension at this time, one of the things that Kevin Sheveldayoff talked about was a willingness to buy into youth. And Patrick Lining on the top line this year, I would say that's a strong example. The kind of minutes Kyle Connors got for the last couple of seasons, also a strong example. Whether it's those players forcing his hand or, or what, I think the handling of Sami Niku, who's not quite an all-star um, at, at that level, but still needs development, I think it'll also be indicative of whether he's bought in. For sure. And in talking to Patrick Lining today about the extension, I mean, you, bra- you raised it in your column. I mean, there's two ways to look at the handling of Patrick Lining. I mean... Some folks could argue that maybe he should have been a first-line player last year and maybe they would have sped up the development. For me, I would counter by saying that maybe Nick, or maybe Patrick Laine doesn't evolve into the player that he's become unless he had to, quote-unquote, earn that ice time and play behind more experienced players and, and realize and go through the tough times. I mean, it's not easy. I mean, for a guy to, to go from 44 goals to 30 and need a new contract, I mean, that was tough for Patrick to go through, but... The fact that he has become an all-around player and blossoming in all those areas of the game where Paul Maurice has constantly talked about leading into that time, I think that's smart coaching. But would everyone want to have that sped up, including Patrick Laine? Absolutely 100%. So, I mean, there's always the two sides of the coin. And I I do think this is going to be a telling time for the Jets. I think uh, there is still opportunity down the stretch. They've... They missed out on a couple of important points the other day, but we'll see how they respond. I mean, this is another great example. I think with the exception of the Ranger game, the Jets have played well in every game since the break, but they still have to probably win. What do they need to win? They need to win 12 or 13 of the remaining game. No, more than that. They're going to be have to close to be, let's say they got to win 14 games out of the last 23. I mean, that's, that's a big ask. If the Jets find a way to get it done, it'll show that they... We're deserving of making the playoffs. But a lot of things to find out. And also one last thing. Kudos to the way that Jacob Truba handled his return the other day. I thought, well done in terms of, I mean, he wasn't a guy who loved being in the media. I thought he showed a sense of humor, talked about his maturity, and kind of hit all the right notes. And, and post-game two, he couldn't, he couldn't resist to get that shot in there about thinking that the booze would have been louder and more sustained. I thought that was also a funny <laughs> way. Again, both sides of the coin. I think... It was natural for some fans to be disappointed and continue to be disappointed that the Jets didn't keep him in the organization, but that doesn't preclude them, another portion of the fan base, from being happy for him that it's worked out in New York. And and as we mentioned, I think, as I wrote, I mean, I think this is an example of a trade can be win-win for both teams. It doesn't, back to the hot take society that we live in, both teams kind of got what they wanted and and are, are not suffering for it. And I think that'll continue to be the case as we move forward. Yeah, absolutely. Well said, well summed. I, I want to throw one last tidbit before we close, and that's, of course, the Jay Bowmeister news, which Kevin Sheveldayoff touched on as well, um, that he was able to text uh, Blues GM Doug Armstrong and, and get some feedback pretty early on that, okay, that, that he, it looked like he was going to be all right. It's certainly a, a, a humbling moment, and the, one, of the, one of our great partners over in St. Louis is Jeremy Rutherford, one of the best in the business and breaks all kinds of stories, was able to cover the cup run last season. Well, when it Pigs divisional rivals are the St. Louis Blues. They certainly talk about us from time to time, so we can talk about them as well. Check out the We Went Blues podcast by Jeremy Rutherford and Barrett Jackman, former NHLer as well, with the latest on Jay Bowmeister's health, the latest on the Blues 
in uh, all told and, and, and their push to sort of take the reins is what Winnipeg used to have, always pushing for that divisional lead. For the time being, Ken, this has been a lot of fun. We're being played out by the Oregon and everything like this. Um, so, hey, everyone out there, please rate, subscribe to The Boarding Pass on Apple. If you click on the show URL, that's theathletic.com slash theboardingpass. That'll get you 40% off your subscription to The Athletic where you get Jeremy Rutherford, you get us, you get so, so much more, including trade deadline coverage from Pierre Lebrun, Craig Custins, best in the game. So for Ken Weeb, I'm Murata Tesh. This has been The Boarding Pass.